The show must go on. That's a thing that people say after unexpected obstacles get in the way of their plans. Maybe it rains a few hours before your outdoor wedding, or maybe your star teammate has a sprained ankle before a big game. I know I've heard it at work a lot lately, since COVID. But how do we keep making podcasts even though nobody can be in the same room as each other? You just find a way to make it work. There's been a lot of that going on during the pandemic. Musicians posting stripped-down performances on Instagram Live, TV talk show hosts moving from studios to their homes, broadcasting from their bedrooms, offering something of a link back to normalcy, a welcome shadow of life before COVID. We did a few episodes about this earlier on Telescope, one about a comedian doing a set virtually, another about musicians who performed live in their van to a parking lot of cars tuned into the same radio station. Everyone got creative, empowered through the glitches. Because, hey, the show must go on. But the expression itself, it's most associated with the theater, and that's what today's episode is about. A college theater company and a motivated playwright finding a way to preserve the magic they had to give up four months ago without ever being in the same room. It's so much harder because they aren't watching a conventional show. You're watching a bunch of people in squares. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this time. Producer Kate Mishkin has this story. Here's the thing about theater. Things go wrong all the time. Usually, hopefully, at least, the audience never finds out. And these almost disasters, they become kind of a secret. The actors, musicians, tech crew, it lives with them, and only them, and only for a fleeting moment. But sometimes, there are more obvious mistakes. I've been doing theater a long time, so I literally feel like I've seen everything. Anne-Marie Duggan is the chair of the theater arts department at the University of Pittsburgh. I mean, as a lighting designer, you know, when the lights go off the rails and nothing's going right and you're like, you know, and people in the dark and you're like, wah! It's even worse when the lights stay on and everyone can see the flub. Here's Anne-Marie's student, Ariana Starkman. I had to carry this big alligator across downstage center with another person and we both tripped and fell flat on our face and got right back up and kept going. But no matter how obvious the miscue is, the response from the theater team is always the same. But the show must go on. What greater showstopper than a global pandemic? In March this year, Ariana was wrapping up her senior year at the University of Pittsburgh, which most people just call Pitt. Anne-Marie was working on a production of Head Over Heels, a medieval musical with music from the Go-Go's. The director had been hired, costumes had been created, opening night was set for April of 2020. By now, you know that didn't happen. Froze. (laughs) Totally froze. 
and uh, it we had to stop uh, everything. So it's literally, if you went into our spaces right now, you would just see parts of it just sort of sitting there collecting its dust. The pandemic meant the semester was over. On top of that, a lot of students who had jobs lined up for the summer were out of work. Anne-Marie, the head of the department, now had to hold meetings on Zoom, like everyone else. And she thought, maybe that's how the show could actually go on, over video conference, over the summer. I wanted to keep hope, you know, that we can come together and still tell stories. It's a little different right now. A little different right now? No kidding. Anne-Marie huddled with her production directors, Kelly Trumbull and Ricardo Villarroger. They agreed to put on a virtual production over the summer. Here's Ricardo. We're a producing department, so it's what we do and it's what our passion is. And we still have to continue educating the students regardless of the platform. And on top of that, we have a whole set of staff that if we don't produce, we'll get furloughed. So we're like, you know what? We will figure out a way to go on because there's no way we're losing anyone. So they went for it. But what production would actually work on Skype? A few years ago, in 2018, Pitt put on a play called She Kills Monsters. It's about a high schooler who loses her sister in a car crash. Then, she finds her late sibling's Dungeons & Dragons notebook and uses the fantasy world inside of it to grieve. There's a lot about it that appeals to younger audiences and makes particular sense as a high school production. It's a coming-of-age story about a teenager, and it's about family. And it's fantasy and fun, right? We, we, get, we get to fight monsters, and metaphorically, we can make those monsters whoever we want them to be in our heads as we're working on that show, right? In 2018, She Kills Monsters was one of the top 10 most produced high school plays. Two years later, She Kills Monsters was still in production at a bunch of high schools and colleges around the country. And then... The pandemic. Everything screeched to a halt. Everywhere. But the show's writer, Kui Gwen, wanted the play to keep being performed. So he adapted it for the screen, so to speak. The adaptation has all new stage directions. Cues to turn webcams on and off. There's a lot less stage combat. And in theory, it can all be done over video conferencing. When Anne-Marie saw Sheikos Monsters was being adapted to the screen, things clicked. She knew this show. They had done this show. How much could be different? Well, to start, auditioning was different. They submitted uh, the 90-second tapes. The sets were different. So the actors will be backed by the student designer's original comic book artwork. Props were different. The first time we rented all the weapons is a very fight choreography, right? We can't rent the weapons because we can't mail weapons. Costumes were different. Our costume faculty meet with each actor and going through their closet. <laughs> like, what's in there? And the lighting? Okay, bring every lamp you have in the room. I do you have this? Do you have any flashlights? Like, you know, so that then they could turn things on and 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 sort of make sure things were lit well. Um, and then I'll be interested to see when we get into tech if we start turning some of those, like if we're like, oh, we want it creepier, turn the light off. So almost everything was different. 
I call it sort of the MacGyver version. <laughs> like, what can we make that out of? Or how can we do that? And how can we do it inexpensively? Because we don't produce in the summer. So technically, we don't really have any budget. Back when she was a junior, Ariana was cast as Tilly, the younger sister and one of the leads in She Kills Monsters. I also felt quite lost in the world, kind of like an outsider, but absolutely loving theater. And this summer, she got the role again, a chance to approach it with more experience under her belt. Um, I'm now 22. I've graduated. So also feeling lost, but also very settled and still my absolute love for theater. Also returning is Dennis Sun. He plays Chuck, a dungeon master who helps Tilly navigate the fantasy world. Every time I approach it, I feel like it's a little different. I feel like I use whatever's happening to me in the moment or how I've grown as a person, as an actor, as a performer. Um, and I kind of tweak things. And so maybe the first time I did it, I was a little bit more juvenile. It's a little bit of a homecoming for Dennis and Ariana. We've been in this world before. And I know both of us have been nonstop thinking about this show throughout these past two years. So getting to revisit those characters who already are living inside of us and have already impacted us, that is able to inform our decisions in the Virtual Realms production and already grounds us in that body. But it's not just that the actors are older. This version of She Kills Monsters requires a way different skill, acting in a box. And there's a little bit less stage combat because it has to read on the screen. Um, so now it's more for me about how to show a different side of Tilly, that she's still this badass warrior, but that it's not all about her magic, her combat, but it's also just about who she is on the inside. With all the actors in their own separate silos, the performances are less about the kind of chemistry we might expect between two actors on stage. Instead, it's about a different kind of trust a trust in technology, and an audience learning a new way of experiencing theater, and in each other, to take the process as seriously as they did before, and to make the play shine. Anne-Marie says there's something really special about that. It's almost, in my mind, a little bit magical, and I'm trying not to overstate it yet, because like I said, something's going to go wrong, and some shoe's going to drop on my head. But, um, <laughs> but right now, all of this matters. Knowing that things could go wrong, the show even has two cast members sitting in the virtual wings. They're understudies. So they are ready to jump in if someone loses Wi-Fi, if their computer restarts, if any tech problem goes on. They are there to pop right in. Even before COVID, the production company at Pitt fostered a consent-based rehearsal process. The amount of stage fighting in the original She Calls Monsters required a lot of discussion about consent. The production directors, Kelly and Ricardo, would check in with actors to make sure they felt comfortable being touched and having their space invaded. Here's Ricardo. So anytime that actors touch, we want to make sure that it's all that consent is always given. It's given every time. It can be revoked whenever. And it, um, but, but there's no touching. <laughs> so then it's like. Oh, uh, you know, that's a, this is a kind of a new territory. But like, yes, you're having this fight and somebody is reaching across, but not really hurting somebody else. It's been kind of freeing because then nobody has to worry about like... Their personal space. Yeah, like the personal space or anything. They're all in their rooms. <laughs> now, 
there's no space to invade. Everyone's confined to a virtual box. But the notion of consent doesn't just go away. Kelly and Ricardo make sure everyone's comfortable throughout the process. So they brought something from the real world with them into the world of Skype. When Kelly and Ricardo start production, everyone gets together to create a list of agreements. It's a Google Doc. It's a living document folks can amend at any time. Ricardo read them out to me. Bring your full self to rehearsal and be fully, as fully present as you can be. Make space, take space, maintain awareness of natural or imposed power dynamics and imbalances, and use the talk space equitably. Embrace discomfort. Discomfort does not equal being unsafe. What's learned here leaves here. What's said here stays here. So speak from your own experiences. Don't speak for anyone else and don't share stories unless you've given consent to do so. No one knows everything, but together we know a lot. That's one of my favorites. Don't expect perfection. Embrace mistakes as part of your learning process. Don't say sorry unless you physically or emotionally hurt someone and we're not in a physical space together. So (laughs) emotionally. And no judgment zone. We work together to make this a safe and a brave space. This list of agreements, it builds a solid foundation for the cast and crew. Kind of the consent-based rehearsal process is getting more away from the discussion about chemistry and more about listening and being open to your scene partner. So you don't have to worry about manufacturing something that isn't there, right? But it's much more about what is the relationship you two have. If you're open and present and engaged, that it will naturally happen. Meaning you don't necessarily have to be on the same stage in the same city to have that kind of mutual respect. Just like with an onstage live theater production, there's a lot that could go wrong in a virtual play. The internet could go out, or someone's computer could shut down. The props may not work. Each cast and crew member I talked to said they were fully prepared for something to go terribly wrong. But also, the audience may not get it. The first time Dennis played Chuck, the cast had to build in time because the audience laughed so much. They were digging the whole thing. This time, even if the audience does get it, the actors won't be able to rely on the audience's reaction to propel the show. So it's going to be different not being able to rely on the audience giving you that energy or reciprocating a type of energy so you can play with it back. It almost has to be like... It has to be more structured, I guess. And there are moments where you can't trust that certain people will laugh or certain people will react this way. And you have to make sure the audience understands what you're saying, whether that be with words, whether that be with your props. It's, it's so much harder because they aren't watching a conventional show. You're watching a bunch of people in squares. Last Sunday, the show went on. From all around the country, the students put on the production. It was streamed live from Pitt's website. It'll still be up there for a while. Ariana performed from her childhood bedroom, just outside Cleveland. And Dennis was in his apartment near Pittsburgh. Anne-Marie is really proud of everyone who came together to pull this off. Every single student working on She Kills Monsters is brave. And yeah, their bravery will give me goosebumps. Because this is not easy, what we ask them to do, right? This is a hard thing to do. So I could not be more proud of every single one of them that has the courage to just be like, okay, let's try it. It's not the same thing, but how could it be? I'll always love the stage. Just being in the presence of other people, 
and getting to actually see them and see your audience and just that there's a different type of energy. Yeah, there's nothing like it. But this can do for now. This whole production was a moving experience for Ariana. She believes we need to tell stories and share the arts with one another. It's part of being human. And like in Russia, arts, actors, it's the highest profession. It's seen as the most glorified, hardest profession to do. You say you're an actor and people are stunned by how hard your job is. Um, So I think that just shows the importance of storytelling, the importance of being reflected by something you see on stage, just getting to see humanity and question. And, you know, I don't think theater is there to answer your questions, but it's there to help you think and just keep asking more questions. Anne-Marie was feeling optimistic about taking Pitt's theater program back to the stage in the fall. But the first week of July, 14 students and professors tested positive for COVID as the county ordered restaurants and events closed again. We don't know yet. Okay. Yeah, we literally no have... We, like, you, we know as much as you do. So maybe they'll all be in a theater without an audience. Or maybe they'll live stream it. But one thing is for certain. The show will go on. Thanks to Ariana, Dennis, Anne-Marie, Ricardo, and Kelly for sharing their stories with us. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Before we leave you today, I just want to let you know, if you didn't already know, that Neon Hum does a lot of other things besides Telescope. We're producing a whole series of original shows that are coming out this fall. We recently partnered with a number of media organizations to produce new shows like Motive for Murder with NBC and Dateline. If you're interested in other projects that Neon Hum Media has under our belt, you can go to our website, neonhum.com, and sign up for our newsletter. You'll find interesting behind-the-scenes details about the stories that you hear on the show. But you'll also hear about all the other great stuff that we have in store for you. So check us out, neonhum.com. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was reported and produced by Kate Mishkin. It was edited by Nick White, Catherine St. Louis, and Vikram Patel. Our engineer was Mark Bush. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like the show, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you want to share with us, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you. We'll see you on Friday.